Welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman, and this week, much like Falafel Wolfsburg, we are ringing in the changes. We got a brand new guest pundit on the show, one whose participation I think is actually long overdue. It is Louis Ambrose from One Football, various other quarters, including his Substack, Fußball in English, tastefully named Fußball in English. Glad you could join me on Talking Fußball. I'm very glad that I've been invited to join you. I'm looking forward to this. Nice, nice. There's mutual good feelings. It's We're off to a great start here. We are going to be back in just a moment with all the action from Match Day 10. A couple of pretty tasty results to talk over. But while I have you here, don't forget to subscribe to the pod wherever you get those uh, podcasts. Leave us a rating. Tell your friends. And if you're really feeling generous, become a supporter on Patreon. We have tons of Bundesliga history and single club content. Be right back. Here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk over the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 10 in the Bundesliga. And I think I would probably be remiss not to allow my decision-making process about where to start be affected by things that happened at midweek in the DFB Pokal. Just to give you some context, lots of eyes were on the Alte Försterei this weekend, not just because FC Union Berlin were, were hosting champs FC Bayern München, which is, you know, always a big occasion for any team, but always, uh, always when Bayern have uh, a certain backstory coming into a game, things get turned up in terms of the, the, the sort of coverage temperature. Not only did FC Union Berlin have Bayern's number last season, they, they drew with them 1-1, uh, both home and away, but there was just a little game played uh, about four or five days ago where Borussia Mönchengladbach defeated Bayern München in the cup five goddamn nil. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. This is the second straight year that Bayern have been bounced from the DFB Pokal in the second round and, and the first time that they've lost uh, a game by that many goals in <laughs> – you know, probably about 50, uh, 40, 40 years, 40 years, I think is right. So anyway, there was a lot of high hopes for a ball game in Berlin this weekend. Did we get one? We did not. Bayern went home 5-2 winners. Once again, uh, they did the round robin goal scoring routine, two from Lewandowski, one apiece from Leroy Sané, Kingsley Coman, and Thomas Müller. Lewis, were you surprised by this bounce back from Bayern, or did you think after they got that hiding at midweek that whoever they got next was uh, <laughs> in the crosshairs? <laughs> I think it was impossible not to think the the latter. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's always a weird situation, and especially for a team that isn't used to, not even used to losing, let alone losing so, so heavily. So... There was, I guess, a little bit of a question mark. I think Union away is not the game you would choose if you were looking for a game to come back from such a defeat like Bayern had last weekend, uh, in midweek, sorry. It really uncomfortable, loud atmosphere, a, an uncomfortable team to play against as well, an uncomfortable style of football, aggressive and long balls and exactly the kind of things that top teams talk about being a bit of a nightmare. And I think it was always going to come down to who scored the first goal. And if Bayern found themselves struggling, then maybe we would have seen a little bit of a different game. They got, they didn't just get the first goal, but they got it really early as well. And I think any nerves that they might have gone into the game with, any uncertainty kind of dissipated quite quickly thanks to that fast start. Yeah, early penalties, a great way to make your visitors feel at home. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know if that was, I, I wouldn't call it a stonewall penalty. I think it's a penalty that Bayern get more often than not. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't think it was a really controversial decision to give a penalty, but I could see why Union would have been a bit aggrieved. Sure, sure. However, I feel like when the table gets set that early, and uh, at least for a club like Union, who are probably entering this match, unless they were going to get an early smash and grab, as as you mentioned, they were probably expecting to be sort of under the cosh from the first moment. And, you know, here it is. It's arrived. Now let's let's get on with it, guys. Yeah, I think so. And uh, to be fair to Union, they made a game of it too. 
you know, they scored twice. They had another one disallowed. There were goals in this game for them. They obviously, they're not the sort of team to, to sort of throw in the towel and bunker in and accept their five-goal defeat, I don't think. And maybe that just showed that the those Bayern vulnerabilities are still there a little bit. But you're going to have very few days. And even in, in Gladbach in midweek, Bayern still had a fair few chances. They they didn't play well. They, they definitely deserved to lose. But it was also one of those games where it felt like Gladbach pretty much scored with every every clear chance that they managed to create. And Bayern came up against an informed goalkeeper in Jan Sommer and didn't manage to score their chances. I think this Union game was a little bit more like a... a an off-form Bayern, but still looking clinical in front of goal. And Union, you know, took a couple of their chances as well. As I said, ultimately, most of the time, even when Bayern play badly, they're going to create enough to score a few goals. And as soon as they've got their noses in front, any team pretty much in the world is going to have a difficult time getting back in front against them. Yeah, interesting. I, I feel like the result that we saw in Mönchengladbach in the Cup earlier this week, it's it's probably worth a little bit more talk, maybe not strictly about the game, but what it might mean for Bayern. I mean, I was kind of being a bit flippant uh, in my introduction to this discussion that it hasn't happened to Bayern in, in about 40 or 50 years, which, you know, might sound like an exaggeration, but as far uh, as, as I know, that's the that the actual truth. You know, they, they were beaten even worse by, I believe, Fortuna Dusseldorf in 1978, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a truly historic result and a result that, like, I mean, if you remember back then in, in the 70s, Bayern were not um, the, the sort of imperious, let's win nine Bundesligas in a row, <laughs> nine going on 10. Uh, but they were quite a handy side, let's just say. Does this result against Gladbach, does it portend anything? Does it mean anything for the way Bayern are playing this season, the way that sort of cannier teams can get at them on on a good night? Because we've been talking over the the recent few weeks here on Talking Foosball, and and we're we're not alone, that this is a team that's not just the best in Germany, but arguably the best team in Europe at the moment. The fact that they can get smashed like that, does that mean that we all need to Tone it down. <laughs> I don't know because because it's just one game and and this can happen, right? This can happen that you have one really horrible day and the other team completely takes advantage and, and makes the most of it. So I don't think this means that Bayern aren't the best or in the best two or three teams in all of Europe. Uh, what it means or what I think it could mean or should mean maybe for other Bundesliga teams is the way that they play against Bayern. And I think we quite often see teams, and understandably in some cases, it, it's like the game's been lost before they've even kicked off. And it's a matter of <laughs> losing by as few goals as possible and you know sitting back and soaking up that pressure. Even even sometimes, you know, and it does work occasionally. Frankfurt were you know pretty much dominated a few weeks ago when they beat Bayern. Kevin Trapp had an absolutely brilliant game in goal and then they snatched a goal on the break, which is another way that you can win against such a good side. But I think that Gladbach more than anything showed that there is a soft underbelly, that it exists and Something that really impressed me, and it impressed me on the opening day of the season as well, when when Gladbach drew one all with Bayern, was as soon as they won the ball, it wasn't one or two players going forward on on the off chance that the ball might drop to them, but it was actually three or four players springing forward beyond the Bayern defence, hoping for a ball to run onto, or even you know just to stretch the defence and and pull players out of position. I mean, and that's what yeah I thought Bayern were, were poor and they were out of sorts, but I think Gladbach made them look poor at times because of the way they played. And I think they played with a lot more aggression and ambition than a lot of teams dare to play with against Bayern. And I hope for the Bundesliga's sake and that, if anything, this encourages other teams to, to go at Bayern. And, you know, they might do that and they might get absolutely pumped and lose five or six nil because they're taking too many risks. But if they sit back, teams lose four or five or six nil sometimes to Bayern anyway. So, you know, if you're going to lose four or five nil, do it by maybe trying to be a little bit more aggressive about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, ultimately, unless you are a side who believes you are, are, are going to be at the end of the table where goal difference is 
going to make all the difference, which is to say, if you're, if you're Bielefeld, Fürth, Augsburg, maybe arguably a few others, maybe you don't want to get torched by Bayern. But if everybody else, you know, give it a go. Everybody gets that, you know, breakaway or two against Bayern because Bayern do play in a style that leaves themselves exposed to the well-placed diagonal ball or whatever the case may be. And it just so happens that a lot of players lose their sort of ability to do things when they're bearing down on Manuel Neuer or they are, you know, are sort of presented with with the Bayern problem. I, I don't know what it is. I think you're right to say that there is there is some sort of mental stuff going on with, with some teams in the Bundesliga. And even some of the top teams as well. I mean, when we've seen in recent years, any time Dortmund go to the, the Allianz Arena, they seem fine at home against Bayern, and the game usually seems pretty much even between the two sides. But anytime Dortmund turn up away, uh, and as soon as Bayern score an early goal, which they almost always seem to do in that fixture, and and Dortmund will crumble so quickly, and you know, and do that exact thing of bunkering in and hoping that they don't lose four 0 instead of you know throwing things forward against them. Leverkusen two weeks ago we saw the exact same thing again and, and you know there were a few injuries and that sort of thing but Gladbach did to Bayern exactly what Bayern do to so many other teams the difference is you know when when Bayern do it to those teams you mentioned Furt or Augsburg or the, the sides that are going to be in the bottom five or six places in the table it's kind of be, to be expected when they play Gladbach and they play Leverkusen and they play Dortmund, then those teams, you know, and a few more as well, have the players to actually hurt Bayern as well. And sometimes it feels like they hold back a little bit. Yeah, worried that they're going to miss that chance against Manuel Neuer and then got, get caught out at the other end. And Gladbach, yeah, I do think that that maybe also has something to do with their recent record against Bayern. They've quite a few times over the past three or four seasons got a good result against them. And that must inspire some sort of belief that, you know, they are human and that you can do it. It's whether or not that belief transmits itself to other teams in the Bundesliga now and whether or not they take some encouragement from it. Because Bayern will still win almost every game, no matter how anyone plays against them. But if teams with the firepower of Leverkusen and Dortmund and, and Gladbach do go for it a little bit more, then there's obviously some sort of vulnerability there. Yeah, I agree. Since we are now sort of talking about Bayern's opposition and, and how one can set up against them, I think it might be a decent time to, to talk just looking toward next weekend. I mean, I know Bayern have, uh, have a home match against Benfica in the Champions League in between, but they do have Freiburg coming to town next week. And Freiburg, of course, they got a pretty dutiful win over a pretty pitiful Fiat side this weekend, which means that, you know, Freiburg are, are 10 games unbeaten. They're the last remaining unbeaten team in the Bundesliga. This is a streak that there's, I think it ties a club record for, for the, the longest uh, unbeaten run in SC Freiburg history. I think they're a pretty handy side. Are they the kind of side that can give Bayern trouble, though? I, I think they can. I think I'm going to completely contradict myself now, and all of those all of those teams that I talked about having that offensive firepower and the the tools to to maybe hurt Bayern on the break and get into the spaces behind them. I don't see Freiburg doing that next weekend. I think their strength is in the their organisation and behind the ball. Whereas other teams, uh, you know, it, I think it's frustrating to watch. So many games in the Bundesliga when you're watching Bayern or, or you're even watching Dortmund maybe as a neutral and it feels like the opposition. Sometimes the, the first goal, it's an easy goal. It's a really basic mistake. It's And it is the pressure of the situation playing against that team. You've got less time on the ball than you've got in any other match of the season. You know that if you make one mistake, it, they're probably going to punish you. So that obviously has, has an impact as well. Freiburg, if I if you were to ask me to pick a team that I would trust not to make that mistake and not to hand it on a plate to and not just to Bayern but to any opposition, I would probably pick Freiburg and and Christian Streich and say that they will make life hard for pretty much any team they come up against. And yeah, as I say, uh, 
that is probably the opposite of, of how I've just said that other teams could maybe go about hurting Bayern. You did you did mention that uh, that Eintracht got their win by sort of you know absorbing and, and springing out. Well, also that, and you play to your strengths, right? And that is Freiburg's strength. It is their organization. It is the the the, the work rate, the effort behind the ball, and you also don't win games in the Bundesliga without that ability to to break and exploit those gaps in behind when you do get the chance as well. So. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily expect Freiburg to to take points off Bayern or to win the game, but I think that they'll make life very, very hard for them. Yeah. Okay. Looking back to uh, you know Bayern's opponents this weekend, match day ten. Just a brief word, maybe on uh, Union Berlin. I mean, they obviously they got off to a very hot start and have been at the upper reaches of the table. They've kind of leveled off a little bit, or at least they've they've faced some some trickier matches. And in fact, they are playing another team for whom that applies next weekend. They're playing uh, in Cologne, uh, of course, after having played at home to to Feyenoord at midweek. How do you see Union versus Cologne next week? I, I think that's actually a pretty intriguing game. Yeah, I think so too. I think you've got a real clash of styles there a little bit. I think Cohen uh, plays such offensive football under under Stefan Baumgart. And I think Union uh, may be the team in the league most comfortable and most happy to play a real old school defensive style of football and, and sit back and, you know, rely on... Not, not not a reliance per se, but yeah, sort of lean into their chances that they get from set pieces and that kind of thing. So it will be interesting. I, I think this is the sort of game that actually suits Union quite well to have the other team coming at them and and have those the chance to lean back on that defensive solidity and then take their chance when they get it from from free kicks, from corners, from the odd counter attack. So yeah, I could see Cohn going for it and and leaving themselves. A little bit sucker punched and it's interesting because obviously after promotion and, and after how well they did last season Union it's I think it's always a problem for a team that comes up and one or two years manages to establish themselves because then they're no longer treated as the underdog and other teams are happy to let them have the ball and, and put the onus on them to make the game happen uh, but I don't think Cohn will, will do that because it's just not in Stefan Baumgart's DNA to do anything but go full throttle to win a football match yeah, you know, Cologne have gone very quickly from a team that, you know, I and I think many neutrals more or less disliked watching because they didn't play very attractive football <laughs> over the last few years to being so much fun to watch. Yep. Like I, you know, <laughs> watching Cologne now is is great. Yeah, well, it's always that thing right when um I mean the conference games are the conference games and it's hard to to pick one and keep track of of what's going on. And then you get to sort of the maybe the Friday night game or the Sunday games and there are some teams where you see that they're on this Sunday and you think oh, am I really going to bother watching that or am I is it going to be worth it to to put myself through 90 minutes of that? And I think that's if you'd have asked me yeah, as you say, the last few years, Cone were that team. And now Cone are that team where I go, yeah, actually, I'm going to make sure that I'm actually watching them this this Sunday because that game is probably going to involve a lot of end-to-end football. Nice. Very nice. All right. Let's move on to another sort of Bayern-adjacent topic. I mean, I think, I think it, you know, we talked about... Gladbach's defeat of Bayern, which of course was in the cup, which is a little bit different, but I don't know. We probably have all heard about the Bayern beating curse. It follows that, you know, when a team beats Bayern in the Bundesliga, they're all but guaranteed to turn around and just lay down a stinker on the following match day. I mean, we, we saw it earlier uh, this season when Eintracht followed up their win at Bayern with a loss at Hertha. What Leverkusen seemed to be developing is, is, is worse. Um, <laughs> A beaten by Bayern curse. I mean, last season they were riding high. You know, they were top of the league. They were unbeaten on, on going into match day 13 last season. They lost 2-1 at home to a, to a late goal. And then, you know, the pharmaceuticals, they just went into a tailspin. I think they won one of their last seven in the league after that. They never really recovered. I mean, they recovered enough to get back to European places and it wasn't a disaster, but you know their their wings were clipped pretty severely. I feel like this is maybe happening again. I mean, Leverkusen were whacked by Bayern a couple of weeks ago. They followed it up by letting a derby slip away in Cologne. They got bounced from the German Cup. They now dropped all three points at home to Wolfsburg. How concerned are you about Leverkusen, Lewis? 
Yeah, I'm I'm pretty concerned for them. I mean, the, that run last season as well that you mentioned obviously cost Peter Bosch his, his job, ultimately. I don't think that will happen this time around for, for Gerardo Solane, but I think this is definitely a worry. Leverkusen didn't just go into the buying game, you know, sort of up there in the league and competing for, for top spot. And I think what would have been top if they'd have won that day. They went there, actually, like they deserved to be there. They were playing really, really well. Florian Verts, Patrick Schick, uh, Musa Diaby, the three of those were playing really, really exciting football in particular. And it has just all kind of collapsed very, very quickly now, as you say. It's one of those weird things when you think if they just just hold on in that game against Köln last weekend, then they're probably fine and everybody's back in a good mood. Or even even if they were 2-0 down and came back to draw 2 all. But to go from 2-0 up to, I mean, it's hard to avoid the phrase throwing points away when you are 2-0 up in, in such a meaningful game for the club as well. And you end up not just drawing 2-0, but in the end, I think, got away with it to draw 2-0. And, and if there was a, a winner in that game in the last five or ten minutes, it definitely looked like it was going to be for Cone. And now they're playing without... Musa Diaby, who's injured, they're playing without Patrick Schick, who's injured, which is just the, just the kind of luck that you want to compound a, a bit of a free fall. Yeah, that defeat in midweek to to Karlsruhe is the sort of defeat that I think could completely break the confidence of a team. It, it, it's the, the loss of a team that, yeah, I, you sort of start to wonder. It's only been a couple of games that they haven't won now, or three in the league I think yeah. but you start to immediately wonder where are they going to win a game again I mean, I think it's Hertha next weekend and, and Bochum the week after that if they don't win either of those two games then they're in really really big trouble because they've got to be looking at those as as games that they would definitely be expected to win so yeah it's a problem and, and by all accounts and I, I didn't get to see the game I know you did but I, I managed to you know look see the highlights look at some of the stats it looked like they were outplayed by Wolfsburg this weekend yeah not not badly I would actually say I mean I, I was not surprised to see Wolfsburg win this one I think Wolfsburg were slightly better a lot of it had to do with I thought chances getting wasted I mean I think on a day when you had the likes of Diaby and Chick in the lineup, this could have been a game that they could have gotten a result in. There was just, I don't know, there seemed to be something lacking in front of goal in this game, especially. I want to get your, your, your thoughts real quick on Wolfsburg. I mean, obviously one game is, is pretty much a really small sample size. There's nothing really to be drawn from it unless, you know, unless you think they're there was. Uh, but I, I think that there's something interesting at this team showing the kind of reaction that they did as quickly as they did to being given an actual coach uh, in <laughs> Florian Kofeld. You know, I, I don't, I, I've, I've kind of given Mark van Bommel a very hard time, uh, on, on this podcast. And I feel like, I feel like, uh, that has been completely justified in that everyone, I believe, Come the end of this season and, and moving forward. I mean, I think whether or not Florian Kohfeldt becomes a, a real sensation at this club or whether he's just sort of fine. I think everyone's just going to do their best to forget that that ever happened. Uh, I mean, this guy who was around for about two months, uh, it didn't work out. And then they got a real coach in. <laughs> they did fine. They got back into Europe and what a weird episode. I mean, first of all, do you think this is a good move for Florian Kohfeldt? I mean, I, I guess taking over for somebody who who was just not up to it is a good way to make yourself look good. Yeah, yeah, that's always the job that you'd probably want as a football manager, right? Always pick your job so that you replace somebody who's done absolutely terribly. I think this is a really good job for Florian Kohfeldt. His stock was really high a couple of years ago. He was Bremen through and through and very loyal to the club. And I think even with some interest, his head wouldn't have been turned for, for clubs with bigger ambitions or or at least maybe not bigger ambitions but the likelihood to, to actually achieve them being much higher and then everything happened at Bremen that happened we know about the club's financial problems that tailspin that we just talked about Leverkusen being in and it's only been a few games Bremen got into what felt like a, a never-ending 18-month tailspin that they're still now not really out of in the in the Zweite Bundesliga I don't think 
there's really a coach who could have turned that around. I think at some point you just have to, something has to change. Something very fundamental has to change. And I think Florian Crawford has, I think he'll be very happy that his reputation survived enough to go into a, a job with, with a Champions League club, incredibly, after the season the Premier had last season. I think it says a lot about how highly he's probably thought of in, in German football generally. And I think it also speaks a lot for the work that he did that first year or so, or 18 months at Bremen, when we were all talking about him being a really good coach who was doing a really good job. And now with, you know, a refresh and a little bit of time out, I think he's probably walked into when we, not in terms of fan base or anything like that, history, but when we talk about the potential of, of Wolfsburg financially, the fact they're in the Champions League, I don't think there's a bigger job that he could have walked into and, and found himself in. He felt to me like he was always going to be one of the leading candidates for any, whichever Bundesliga team changed their coach first this season or the second team, whoever it was. The first couple of clubs, Florian Kofer was always going to be, just because he was available, because he has done really good work in the in the recent his, in the recent past in the Bundesliga, he was always going to be a candidate. I was a bit surprised when he actually ended up getting the job, but I think that it's a, it's a really fantastic opportunity for him to maybe not restore his reputation because he's got the job off the back of that reputation, but to solidify it after, obviously, I think reasonably a lot of people will be doubting the job that he did at Bremen last season, especially. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I too think this is a really good opportunity for him with certain reservations. I mean, obviously, you, you kind of made a little bit of reference to the fact that this is not a glamour job. You know, people from Wolfsburg love Fahafel Wolfsburg. Almost no one else does. It's just not, it's not a big job in that way, but it is a big job in that it's a club that has money. It's a club that has, you know, a highly competent, if famously prickly sporting director in Jörg Schmatka. They, they've got a great squad. I feel like their squad this season is actually better than last season. They didn't lose very much and they added some really nice pieces. I, what makes me feel a little funny, you mentioned that, that Kofeld was going to be or it was sort of foretold, let's just say, that a lot of clubs are going to line up after him if they ever made a change. In that Wolfsburg made their change over the summer, and Kofeld was out of work then, it just, why didn't they just hire him then? I mean, like, really, like, I remember when Mark van Bommel got hired at Wolfsburg. I mean, everybody wondered then, like, what? What are you doing? This is a dude who's done nothing. And then there was somebody like Kofeld. I mean, I wondered if they sounded him out and he didn't want it at the time. He was sort of, you know, looking around. Maybe he was going to get a different job or maybe he wasn't sure this was the one. It just seems weird that this connection ha happened when it did under the circumstances that it did because it seems like it would have been a no-brainer back in July. Yeah, it's strange. It's great for him, as we as we mentioned sort of at the top, that he now gets to walk in and the expectations are so much lower than they were two or three months ago for whoever is the Wolfsburg coach. And you're right as well. They obviously, Oliver Glasner did a really good job. They got into the Champions League. They didn't lose anyone. And then they went and, you know, even though players were linked with moves away, uh, Weghorst was linked with the move away. Lacroix was moved with, uh, linked with the move away. I'm sure plenty of clubs would have would have taken the likes of Friedler Baku if they had the chance. All of these players stayed, and then they added Lucas and Mitchell, and they added Luka Waldschmidt, and the squad is that maybe the the team, the first eleven, hasn't got much better, but the squad is is there and it's ready and built to compete in European competition alongside the demands of playing Bundesliga every weekend. It's it's definitely a strange one that Van Bommel got that job off the back of, as you say, very little. And I think anyone who had watched much of Mark Van Bommel's sides uh, in the Netherlands had not recognised much to shout about. And that's what we saw. We saw a team, they were that team that you didn't want to watch on a Sunday. The, the first couple of months of this season it was you know everything everything that we don't talk about when we talk about the Bundesliga they kept possession but did nothing with it when they lost it they didn't press they just shuffled back into their own half and hoped not to concede and I mean the, as I say I saw the highlights of this one um, against Leverkusen I've looked at the some of the stats 
Wolfsburg completed the fewest passes they've completed in a game this season. They had the worst pass completion. They won the most tackles they've won in a game this season. It's not like Florian Kofeld's had any time to come in and actually change and how they're playing in terms of time on the training ground and working on specific things. That, that's just a matter of intent and the players being told that they can play a certain way, that the centre-backs don't have to just pass to each other or the full-back outside them, but they can launch the ball forward and, you know, and then everybody can spring after that second ball and try and win it back high up the pitch. It's... Pretty amazing that Mark Van Pommel got this job and then, you know, did, did, did so badly with it. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those it's one of those things that you feel like we're all it's gonna be a footnote for everybody in a pretty short amount of time. Remember, remember when Mark Van Bommel coached <laughs> Wolfsburg for about eight games? We're gonna take a break in just a moment, but first I wanted to sort of bring up briefly, because we've mentioned the the DFB Pokal a couple of times. We had that slate of games this past week. Uh they have drawn for the um the uh the the round of sixteen and there's some doozies in there, man. There's some real doozies. I guess first and foremost would be the bonus Berlin Derby. It's uh, Hertha at home in this one, which I think will make a lot of uh, Hertha fans happy, considering it's a, it's a club that always likes to complain that they don't get to play home matches in the club. <laughs> I'm super psyched. I'm super psyched for yes, this. Yes, uh, I completely understand why. It's also it's such a shame. It's not often enough that the Olympiastadion is full, like really full and really loud it is when Bayern and Dortmund are in Berlin but then it's about between a quarter and a third Bayern and Dortmund fans in the stadium and it starts to feel less like a Hertha home match and the Hertha fans are really loud on those occasions the and the the stadium is bouncing but as soon as Hertha aren't playing well or on on top of the game it starts to feel like an away game sometimes i think just because of the the fan bases of Bayern and Dortmund and and how many people cram into that stadium it's a little bit different when they play Union that's one of the other few fixtures when not like it's a, a disparagement on Hertha because it's hard to fill a stadium that big but that's one of the few other occasions when that stadium is guaranteed to be every ticket will be sold and in this case it will be almost entirely Hertha fans yeah, I mean, that's that's exciting. It's exciting for German football. It's exciting for Berlin. It's really exciting to have that setting for a knockout match, which always ups the ante a little bit when it's a knockout game. It all, it, you know, that goes hand in hand as well with it being an evening kickoff, which always gets the any stadium, I think, in Germany and, and pretty much anywhere else that little bit louder and gets people that little bit more into the game. This is really big. that little bit drunker. Yeah, a little to be bit honest. Too. Not that there's not that there's. A Although this of, this will be an alcohol-free beer uh, night, I'm pretty certain. Well, not that, in the stadium. Not that there's a lack of of day drinking during just legal weekends. But yeah, this will be uh, the, the whole city will be absolutely rocking. I think on on match day, and. I think it's very, very exciting to see those two teams go head to head. And when at the moment Hertha are probably the the weaker of the two sides, you'd probably ask for them to be the home side in this as well, uh, level that playing field just that little bit. Yep, yep, I would agree. Some other really nice games too. I would say St. Pauli, who are doing great in the Zweite Liga right now, they are hosting Dortmund. I think that's going to be. Super tasty. Cologne are, are hosting Ha as Foul. That's that's sort of a super club that only one has <laughs> has managed to get back to top flight status. But there's a lot of subtext there, as well as a, a sort of like uh, old school versus new school Ost Derby uh, <laughs> in in RB Leipzig versus Hansa Rostock. Any any picks you have in in those you're particularly excited about? Can I add another one? Oh, absolutely. Uh, 1860 playing Karlsruhe. Yeah. Simply for the fact that I think it's, I think it's great. Um, whenever we have, you know, uh, teams that aren't in the in the uh, the Bundesliga getting as far as possible in the cup. And when you get to this stage of the cup and you're a win away from the quarterfinal and, and two wins away from a semifinal, to have the guarantee that one team from outside the top flight will be that far in the competition is always really, really nice. So I'm really happy that that, that draw came out for both of those teams. Yep, yep. And also that's just a great 80s Bundesliga, 90s Bundesliga <laughs> matchup. I mean, these, these are 
two clubs with a lot of uh, a lot of history in the top flight or a lot of history, you know, in, in German football generally. So I think that there's there's a lot to like there. Sasha Mulders was quick to point out. I had the draw on TV hmm. um, earlier as it happened, and he was very quick. He was on the he, – he sort of video called in as the 1860 representative as the, the smallest club or, or lowest-ranked club left, I guess, in the cup. Um, he was very quick to point out that they are the only remaining Bavarian team left in the competition. Love it. Love it. All right. We'll be uh, right back. So here comes part two of Talking Foosball Direct. Part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. This was match day 10, of course. I think we can probably start things up with Dortmund and their 2-0 win over Cologne. We sort of made reference to the fact that Cologne had leveled off a little bit. But that's to take nothing away from their performance in this game, which, you know, they played... Dortmund pretty even Steven. I mean, certainly if you look at the uh, the expected goal numbers, although, you know, expect single game expected goal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Pretty, pretty, pretty close in that respect. But I think it's your sense, Lewis, that uh, any win is a good win for Dortmund until they can get a certain blonde giant back into the lineup. Yeah, I mean, ultimately the league table shows the number of points. And uh, as long as, as long as Dortmund are picking up three points. I don't think that there'll be too many concerns. I think you could have concerns about the way that they played in the first sort of half hour of this game. But in the absence of, of Erling Haaland, and not just him, but Motahood, who started the season really strongly as well. Uh, Gio Reyna started the season really strong and he's been missing for a while now. So you do start to question, you know, where where are the goals going to come from? Where's the creativity going to come from and are Dortmund going to have enough? We saw it in the Pokal in midweek and it, it took until Torgan Hazard came off the bench to break down Ingolstadt. So, yeah, it was one of those games and it, it's one of those periods at the moment, I think, as long as they get over the line, it doesn't really matter too much how. And Cohen was probably the, the, the least ideal opponent for a Dortmund side that's a, a little bit depleted for the reasons that we already mentioned earlier. They will, they don't care who they're playing against. They're going to throw everything forward. We know that, and we've known for years that Dortmund have a weakness. You know when teams do go for them, and and are more likely, I think now anyway, to be very comfortable when teams sit back and and they'll find a way to break them down. It's when teams throw things forward at Dortmund and and go at them and try and ask them questions that they tend to struggle. And now, yeah, it's it's six wins out of six at home in the Bundesliga this season. I think the the fortress of, that was the Westfalenstadion had stopped being a bit of a fortress. And actually, the sort of big stadium that other teams saw an opportunity for a, for a big surprising result over the past few seasons. So restoring that had to be priority number one for Marco Rosa and... Six wins out of six. He's on his way to doing that as well in his first season. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know Marco Rosa has maybe not been the sort of world-beating difference maker that 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 Dortmund hoped he would be. I think there's also a reason for us to 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 doubt whether that was ever a realistic expectation. There's also a reason for us to think, hey, they're one point behind Bayern in the table. There's nothing wrong here. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, getting six wins out of six at the Westfalenstadion is a great way to give yourself a really good platform for success. Uh, you know, fans back in the stadium probably helps a lot, makes it a little bit more intimidating. I want to talk about the somewhat, I, I would say, somewhat surprising draw, not only in terms of, uh, you know, pedigree and form, but also just, you know, what happened on the night uh, between Leipzig and Eintracht. I mean, this was, this was theft. <laughs> this was, I mean, I know from experience, you know, supporting some teams that are not generally the best in their leagues and or international competitions, that it can be very satisfying to steal a point, whether it's, you know, steal a point in a draw or to steal a win with a late goal after you've been outplayed. But man, this was, <laughs> this was insane. How fortunate Eintracht were to get one point out of this game. I mean, Philip Kostic, free kick, Tuta nods it in, whistle blows, 
game over. One one result. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing that it, it wasn't just you know snatched from Leipzig, but literally the last touch of a ball in the entire game as well. Like I I had this on and was like mentally I'd switched off. I knew that Frankfurt had a free kick. I knew that Leipzig, you know. Had, were only one nil up, but the game had been so one-sided that mentally I just I wasn't even really concentrating anymore. It, in my head, that game was over and it had ended one nil. And yeah, I, do, do you do you sort of worry for Frankfurt? Obviously, you enjoy it when it happens, and then they would have enjoyed it. But that that performance has to be a concern, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have watched Frankfurt probably maybe three or four times this season. And they haven't been very good in any of the times that I've watched them, including their defeat of Bayern. I mean, you know, Bayern, they beat Bayern because Kevin Trapp basically turned into the Incredible Hulk and just stopped, crushed everything that came at him. I would be definitely concerned if, if I were Frankfurt because they just look disjointed. They look like they are basically relying on Philip Kostic to make things happen, which you know, is, is not an not an unreasonable thing to do, considering how good a player he is in terms of serving up uh, chances for others. But this is a result that I, I feel like will be very satisfying for a very short time, and then they'll go back to worrying. <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. Um, and it's weird we I mean, we just spent all that time talking about Wolfsburg. Oliver Glasner did such a good job uh, at Wolfsburg, and Frankfurt, I think, maybe are just the victims of of circumstance they've lost so many good players over the past few years it was incredible the way that they and, and all credit to Adi Hutter the way that they moved on from that brilliant front three of, of Rebic Jovic and, and Sebastian Heller and they managed to survive that and continue you performing week after week and, and getting the same results I guess maybe this summer and, and losing Andre Silva in particular, maybe it was just a step too far. Rafael Borre, I think it looks like a fairly good player, but things just haven't worked out yet and, and haven't clicked yet for him. And as long as that's the case, you'd sort of, I know you see a team there that could, and especially if something happened to Kostic, that, that could be very worryingly looking down rather than up quite soon. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Let me see. Where where are they at right now in terms of points from safety? Three from the from the oh, oh Augsburg won today. So so today they um, they're level yeah, they're with level. Augsburg in the relegation place, and they are four points clear of bye bye. Yeah, I think they better get something going in the next few weeks, or else it's uh, really really worrisome. Let's let's move on from that. Let's talk about Hertha and Hoffenheim, uh, the Friday night game. <laughs> uh, you, you spoke earlier in the podcast about those games that you look at as a neutral, where you're not exactly rubbing your hands together, tying on your bib. This might have been one of them. I thought this was actually quite a good win for Hoffenheim, you know, mostly because Hertha had been on a, on, on a bit of a good run. They had, had won a couple of games uh, against, you know, Frankfurt and Gladbach. And they, they started very well in this game. I, I thought that they actually looked, in terms of their ball movement and their sort of ability to, to, to look like a somewhat credible attacking side, they were looked better in this game, the early stages of this game, than they had for most of the season. But then... Andre Krummerich decided to just come in and say, <laughs> fuck all that. <laughs> uh, scored a goal 20 minutes in and pretty much, you know, Hoffenheim scored another one before halftime and they could kind of cruise through the rest of the game. Hertha looked lost. Like they were just shell-shocked after giving up that goal somewhat against the run of play. And yeah, I mean, all, all credit to Hoffenheim. Yeah, and Hoffenheim look kind of quietly quite good. I think recently, uh, they obviously smashed Cohen a, f- a few weeks ago. Yeah, I don't quite know what to make of them. I don't quite know if they're good or if, if, if Andre Kramerich is just really, really good. Um, it, he's, he's just not spoken about enough at all. And I know that uh, I'm sure that playing for Hoffenheim is part of the reason. And I'm sure that the injuries that he's had and the time he's missed is another big reason. But he has consistently now for what, four or five years been one of the best players in the Bundesliga. Um, 
and especially when you sort of look outside of those teams that are, that are typically in the Champions League he's you know we, we've just talked about Philip Kostic as well like those are kind of the two or three they're up there in, in terms of players that, that could play for any team in the league and probably any team in Europe and not look out of place and as long as he's fit you kind of back Hoffenheim to to just be able to keep beating teams and keep going on runs and putting wins together which really surprises me because I thought they were really poor for a lot of last season and I didn't expect this uh, this sort of consistency of performance at least over the last few weeks that we've seen yeah I think things are, are looking up for Hoffenheim although you know just looking at the league table right now it, it's all very it's all very compressed at the moment there's there's sort of an upper tier and there's a lower tier and then there's it's <laughs> a lot of you know it's a lot of <laughs> mashed potatoes in the middle I don't I don't know exactly what's in that mash but uh, you know I'll take a bite and see what happens <laughs> yeah we got a couple more games you know head scratcher Although really, any any time Augsburg win a game, it's a head scratcher. I know you we were talking about where where uh, Frankfurt were in the table. <laughs> you were have to had to be like, oh yeah, that's right, <laughs> Augsburg won. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It happens occasionally. They they do it occasionally. They defeated VfB Stuttgart four to one. In fact, I, I I think Stuttgart probably you know they they certainly lost their way in the second half of this game. I think they were pretty unfortunate to, you know, see things turn on them the way that they did. I mean, first of all, they had a what I thought was a really strong penalty shout early in this game. Uh, I, I thought that they should have been 1-0 up inside of five minutes. It should have been, you know, 2-0 up if they had, you know, if, 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 if. But um, the way that they kind of petered out as this game wore on and just kept giving up goal, then another goal, then another goal to, to close out the game. I, it was pretty pretty concerning, I thought. Stuttgart are another of those teams that look like they're collapsing a little bit at the moment. I, I have loads of sympathy because I think that, well, firstly, because I think last season they were so entertaining to watch and so many of those players that made them that are injured or have been injured for the start of the season. Obviously, uh, Silas Kutompo and, and Sasekalaj are the obvious ones, but Mangala wasn't ready for the start of the season. There's been a lot of problems. Mavropanos missed the game today and he's been in brilliant form uh, the last few weeks or this season so far. So, yeah, it's all a bit unfortunate. Even Florian Muller in goal is, is out at the moment. But then, it, on the other hand, it's the job of the coach to find a way to make up for those players being missing. And it's not like the the players that they had out on the pitch today, and, and they lost Chris Fuish as well uh, after he scored. But it's not like the players they had on the pitch today are, are poor players and, and bad replacements for those guys that weren't available. I don't know exactly where to start with Stuttgart because I think possibly and I never want teams to play less entertaining football but I think maybe dialing back a little bit on the the attacking football at the moment might be the best way for for Pellegrino Matarazzo to make sure they get enough results because ultimately what's the point of sticking to playing really nice football if you end up sliding down the league and then battling against relegation for for half the season Stuttgart are more than good enough to avoid that situation they might just have to compromise a little bit until some of those players are back. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, we might we might get a few fewer, you know, close ups of Borna Sosa and his his, you know, uh, shoelace hair tie marauding up the left channel. <laughs> but we'd also get fewer instances of conceding four goals to Augsburg. It's true. It's true. Okay, rounding things out, I think there's only one more uh, game to mention. It was uh, the the final game of the match day. Borussia Mönchengladbach defeated VfL Bochum. They were, uh, you know, Gladbach at home. I didn't watch this game. You did. What did I miss? Did I miss out? You missed. You missed Alessandro Player uh, playing. How we know he can play, but he has played too little in the the last well probably last season as well and and so far this season and uh, and that's mostly it there, there, there it wasn't uh, i think anytime you have a situation where the team that are the favorites go two new up pretty early in the game you're going to have a situation where they're just making sure that that game stays comfortable and then the opposition uh, uh bochum in this case 
throwing what they can forward, but also hoping not to concede a third goal and uh, sort of caught in that halfway house. And that's pretty much what this game ended up being. I think after for Gladbach, uh, and they, they obviously did, they conceded from a, a brilliant free kick towards the end just to make the last few minutes a little bit nervy. But after a win like the one against Bayern in midweek, then the most you can ask for. And I'm sure the exertions that those players uh, had in midweek to to have such a result against Bayern and such a performance, not just physically, but emotionally to sort of come down from that and then have to prepare for a game against Bochum at the weekend and, and want to not be surprised in front of your own fans. It was just a really professional job. Um, Alessandra player looked really, really sharp. Marcus Turam is back and I think that's really good news for everybody and otherwise yeah Adi Hutter after a really slow start seems to be putting the pieces together and Gladbach uh, well you said that that kind of middle of the Bundesliga is so close and there's not really anything between anyone which means that a few of those teams and Gladbach are one of them can afford to have had the slow starts they've had this season and it hasn't really cost them anything yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting because we've we've you know mentioned a number of teams who have underperformed expectations, and certainly Gladbach are in that group, although nowhere near as bad off as as the likes of of Eintracht. But yeah, I mean, if they can win three of four coming up, then they can just vault straight up into the you know, European conversation real, real quick. I mean, I remember you know all the delusional stuff that happens when when the mid table side suddenly <laughs> win a few games. They're like, ah. Oh, if we win just one more game, we're, we're only a point off of Europe. Yeah, so now you sound like one of those guys. Yeah, right, right. But you're right. <laughs> it's just the way it works when you're basically not even a third of the way into the season. Yeah, it's, it's really bunched up there. And you're right. And it, it's not that's not just club back. That applies to literally anyone in that between, I don't know, fourth and 13th put two or three wins together and you're you're leaping six or seven places up the table and you're definitely in that conversation oh yeah oh yeah i mean the, the space between 12th and sixth is now four points so you know that's uh that tells you all you need to know oh all right that's it for this edition of talking foosball direct it was produced as always by aiden rantoul Really good to have you on. I uh, hope it was a, a, a fantastic voyage, Lewis. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Thanks a lot for having me again, Matt. It's been a pleasure. All right. Toot toot. Good ship talking foosball. Uh, you can follow Lewis on Twitter at LG Ambrose. If you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman over there. A new edition of Talking Foosball Extra is going to be coming your way in a couple of days with uh, plenty of lower league centric Aufstieg content. And of course, Talking Foosball Fantasy with JT and Flo will be coming up to close out this week. I'll get you ready for match day 11. This is from Nixon Mall, y'all. 